Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for So we're in Galatians chapter 4 today, and I'm calling it Galatians 4, pick a side. (laughs) But before we get into Galatians 4, I want to give a point of reference from Genesis chapter 17. That's when God promised Abraham that he would give him a son, but Abraham and his wife Sarah, they were way too old to have children. So they didn't think that God could come through on this promise. So what they tried to do was they tried to help God out. Well, God, you can't do this. We'll we'll help you. And they went and got this young woman named Hagar. Well, she's young enough to have a son through her, okay? So Abraham felt that he had to add works of his own to help God finish off his promise. And, okay, that's your point of reference, but this in Galatians is the very problem that Paul had been addressing with the Galatian Gentiles. They thought they had to help God help God's salvation promise by adding their own efforts to the process. They didn't have to do that. God's the one that did this alone. God saves. We don't help him. We don't help God do anything for that matter. He doesn't need us. He involves us to draw us into the family business, but he does not need us as though he's not capable. Okay? So that's what Paul was trying to get through to the Galatian Gentiles. You don't need to add your works. It's not right for you to do that. So now in Galatians 4, verse 1, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not defer at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Okay, he's, what he's getting at is that you don't give an inheritance to a young child because they're not mature enough to manage it. So Paul had said, as long as they're children, he said, it's like they're a slave though they are master of all. This means that the child is the master of the entire estate that will be given to them through their inheritance, but until that child matures to whatever age that the father chooses, they are kept under guardians of the estate. Let's say you had a child that you wanted to pass an inheritance to, but the child's only five years old. You're not going to pass it to him yet. You're going to have it kept under guardians, stewards of that estate that will keep the estate well until they reach whatever age you decide. So let's say, well, I'm going to wait for my son to reach age 18. Then when he's 18, he can get it. So they're kept from being full control because they're not mature enough until the age the father specifies. But once they get there, they can have it. But until then, stewards keep the estate. So remember in chapter 3, Paul said that before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. So this is Paul's illustration of that. 
It's like the child that could not receive the inheritance until they reached the proper time that the father decided. So now Galatians 4 and 3, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But then the fullness of the time had come. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Paul had asked the Galatian believers to consider their former position. Think about where you used to be compared to the freedom that they now had in Christ Jesus after being saved. So he said, when we were children in bondage, talking about when they were still kept in custody under the law before their conversion to grace. But then God the Father, he chose the proper time to send Jesus to adopt us as sons. Okay, you cannot give inheritance to a non-family. Like if some kid walking around the grocery store, I don't know who he is, I'm not going to sit there and think, hmm, you know, I don't know who that kid is, but I'm going to give him my entire estate. <laughs> you, know, you don't do that. They're not yours. You give them to your own real son, your own child. Sons have full entitlement to an inheritance, but non-sons don't because you don't give inheritance to non-family members. So since we were formerly not in God's family, Jesus had, the, had to make the way for us to be transferred in. So it says Jesus was born under the law. What does it mean that Jesus was born under the law? Well, first of all, our flesh is sinful. That means it's under the law. We broke the law, so we're under the condemnation of the law. And so Jesus was born in flesh, just like we are in flesh. But then you get the question, though, why did Jesus come in the flesh? I talk about this subject with people often. Why? Could not God have just said, you know what, believe in me and you're good. Believe in me and you're saved. I'll save you from heaven. Why did Jesus have to come here is kind of the question I'm getting at. Why did he have to come here in flesh to save us? Why not just proclaim us saved from heaven and be done with it? I'm trying to get you into a perspective here. So let me try something on you that I call the donut story. (laughs) I had been teaching a a youngsters group at a a church that I used to belong to. And somebody said, wouldn't it be nice if we had donuts here? We could have breakfast here at the church. I said, well, tell you what, if one of you is willing to stop and pick up the donuts, I'll pay for it. One guy said, hey, I'll do it. I'll pick it up. I said, okay, here. And I gave him some bills, some currency bills of money that was uh, from a foreign country. I'd been on a mission trip and I had some foreign bills and I was going to play a little little trick on him, I guess, in a sense, to draw him into a discussion. So I gave him these foreign bills. I said, you buy the donuts and uh, just bring them here and we'll have donuts, right? So he looked at this money and he thought, well, I I can't buy it with this. And I said, well, why not? (laughs) So he said, well, it's not money. I said, actually, it is money. And he looked at it and he says, well, uh, okay, so maybe it is, but it's not our money. I said, so what? It's still money somewhere, right? He goes, yeah, but they're not going to take this money at the donut shop. I said, why? He says, well, this is not American money. I can't buy American donuts at an American store with foreign money. I said, so what's the problem? What's wrong with this money? He said, well, understand, I'm trying to back him into a corner for a point here, right? He said, well, it doesn't doesn't buy it. it. It can't pay for it. I said, why can't it pay for it? I was still pushing him further. What we finally arrived to, is that 
handing over those bills in this country was just handing over paper. It didn't mean anything. But if you have the right currency, then a transference occurs. There is a, a transaction of, of funds of currency moves from one point to another. See, if he was given foreign bills, that doesn't mean anything to an American if it's not American bills. So the understanding was it was not a currency that transacted. It didn't move anything. There was no transference of funds. So getting back to where I was talking about why Jesus came and died, he came in flesh because there had to be what I call a medium of like exchange. That means it had to be a a medium. It had to be a way that matches on both ends so that exchange transference can happen. For sin to come off of our flesh, it had to go to another flesh. So there had to be a means of transference. There had to be a a likeness between us and God so that there could be a transaction of debt from one place to another to get our sin penalty off of us who are in flesh to get it on somebody else's flesh. And that's why Jesus came in flesh. People say, well, Jesus came to be a good teacher. That's true. He came to be an example. That is true. All of which are still true. But the real main core here is that Jesus was born under the law. We just read that. Paul said it in Galatians 4. Jesus came in flesh, born under the law. He came as a medium of like exchange so that it would produce a means of transference to move our sin penalty off of us and on to him. And then when he died with that penalty upon himself, then that would be the way to get us out from under the law, out from under the condemnation, the curse of the law. This is why Jesus is the only way to the Father, because without Jesus dying in flesh, there would be no way to move the debt off of us. Now, this is why God could not just proclaim us saved from heaven, because without the debt being paid off, moved away from us, off of us, there would be no way to satisfy the payment that God's law demands. God's law says you sin, you die. Okay, pretty much boiled down, you sin, you die. So somebody had to die with that penalty on them. Jesus came in flesh under the law to transfer that off of us so that we could be saved. And friends, that's why Jesus is the only way to heaven, to the Father, to eternal life, because he's the only one that could do it. So Paul had been explaining to the Gentile believers, look at all the work Jesus did to secure your salvation. Look at all this stuff. Why would you want to place yourself back under the requirements of the law when Jesus' death freed you from it? Galatians 4 and 6, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Okay, friends, look at how so so far the full trinity of God, we've seen the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all three persons of God have worked together to draw you, to save you, and to keep you. Isn't it really awesome that God put everything into you, to saving you, all three persons of himself, to save us? It's like a team effort here, right? (laughs) So Paul was asking the Gentile Galatians, look, guys, after being set free, 
Why would you want to go back to living as a slave when Jesus has adopted you out from the law and into grace as sons? And so we cry out to God as Abba, Father, Abba. You know, I don't know if you've heard the, the name Abba before, but Abba is the children's name for father. I've been to Israel, and the kids there were calling their dad. They, they called him Abba, and it was, a, it was a, a normal, common thing. It really kind of took me by surprise. Well, But what is Abba? What does it kind of mean? It's like a, Abba is a very childish, very easy-to-say name. It's kind of like uh, the equivalent of Dada. It reflects our childlike love for God. And so being adopted in as a son, you're a son of God. Jesus said, come to me like little children. Abba reflects that, that affectionate love like a child. Abba, Father. Thank you, Abba, Father, for saving us. Galatians 4, verse 8. But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not God's. But now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. So Paul said it was somewhat expected of them to believe in false gods before they knew God. I mean, when you're an unbeliever and you're bowing down to false gods, okay, we would expect you to do that because you don't know any better, okay? But he said it made absolutely no sense whatsoever for them to turn to a false gospel of bondage after knowing God. It's like, guys, why are you doing this? I, I understand it if you did that before, but now, after being saved by Jesus, you shouldn't be doing this. Paul did not understand how, after knowing God, why? Would they be attracted to such a weak religion that Paul described as beggarly, which means it was so devoid of power that it literally drained everybody that was in it. It it sapped the life out of you, trying to be good enough to be saved. I got to check this box. I got to do that box. You got to keep this list. Got to do all these things to try to be good enough to be saved. It does nothing but drain all the energy out of you to where you have nothing left. Friends, I know some of you out there are working really hard. You're trying to keep up on that spinning hamster wheel that's just wearing you out. You don't have to do that. You've got freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're just going to run your life out early. You don't have to do that. So Paul felt like all the ministry work that he had invested into them was for nothing. Galatians 4.12, Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Okay, this was kind of an odd thing that Paul said here, <laughs> but it's a weird, weirder situation when you look at it. You have Paul, a formerly legalistic Jew that walked away from the law to live like a Gentile, and you've got a bunch of Galatians that walked into the law to end up now living like legalistic Jews. 
So you've got Gentiles trying to live like legalistic Jews, and you have a former legalistic Jew trying to live like a Gentile <laughs> out from under the law. It's like, wait a minute. We swap places in here somewhere. You need to be like me and get out from under the law. So Paul said, become like me, meaning become free from the burdens of the law like I've done. Come over here where I'm at. It's so much more free over here. It's better being under Christ. But then Paul said, for I became like you. He was referring back to the time that he had spent with the Galatians. He had lived in the same manner than that they did. So think of it. You have this Jewish man who was living like a Gentile to preach the word to them. He said, I once lived like you, so now live like me. He, he, he's saying, I crossed over from how I used to live under the law, checking boxes, trying to be good enough. So he's saying, you can do the same thing. You can leave the law and cross over to living under grace. Get out from under the law. It's just going to wear you out. Now, these Galatians, they had been saved by Jesus, but they were putting themselves back under the law after their conversions. And Paul was saying, come back. I came over to you to preach the gospel to you. I know you can come back over here where I'm at, out from under the law. Let's come back this way, he's saying. So Paul, he, here he had brought up an illness that he had, he had mentioned, and he said it kept him with the Galatians. Apparently, he was sick enough with whatever it was that he could not travel. So he spent his time preaching the gospel to them. I guess he preached to them longer than he himself had intended to. So it's kind of like Paul was saying, look, you had a lot more time hearing the gospel from me than most other people have. And so you should be understanding this. I spent so much time with you. And I imagine the Galatians would have realized that this illness was probably God's doing to try to give them an extra dose of preaching because God knew they would turn back to the law later. So that's probably why they're thinking, maybe, Paul, maybe that's why you got stuck with us for so long with that illness. Paul was saying, hey, guys, can you see how it's not just me, but also the Lord himself is trying to draw you to him. Come back to God's grace. So then Paul said, you have not injured me at all. Now, we don't, again, we don't know what Paul's illness was, but the Galatians did not injure him for it. In other words, they did not insult him for being sick. They never did treat Paul like he was cursed by it or that he was a weak messenger just because he had some kind of an ailment. You know, because back in those days, weak people were considered shunned or cursed by God. If if you remember how the mockers said to Jesus, hey, if you're the son of God, then come down off that cross. You know, people back then had a tendency to consider weak people or injured people as not being believable. And so that's why Paul said, look, I was sick when I was preaching the gospel to you, and you didn't injure me. In other words, you Galatians never did insult me or ignore me for this illness. The Galatians actually listened to Paul's preaching as if he were an angel of God, he said. They listened to him so seriously that Paul kind of exaggerated here. He said, hey, if I had asked you to pluck out your eyes for me, you probably would have done it. <laughs> he used extreme language to say, look, I have spent more time sharing the gospel with you than most other people, and you accepted this message like it was gold. So now that you ran back to the law, and I'm telling you the truth. Suddenly, I'm your enemy all of a sudden. I'm the enemy because I'm telling you what's true. I'm the bad guy now. How did we arrive to this? I think Paul was trying to tell the Galatians 
how their backslide from God had really messed up their thinking because apparently they were insulting him. No, we're not going to listen to you. He's like, man, remember when I was there? You'd have done anything. You listen to me all the time. What happened to you? Come back. Come back to the grace of God. Galatians 4.17. They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you, that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you. So Paul told them that these legalists, they were what they were doing to them, he said they were using zeal. They're trying to trick you. They were using zeal, which is a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of energy. But they were using this zeal to hype the Galatians up, to get them excited about yeehaw the law. Let's go, let's go serve the law and do all these little check boxes. It, you know, it's kind of like these big old hyped up churches with all the fancy stuff and the loud music and all the fancy gadgets to try to draw people into their watered down nonsense. They're not really preaching a message, but oh, that hype is there, right? And Paul said, these guys are doing this to you. These legalists are trying to zeal you up, not to strengthen you, but to exclude you. In other words, they were using hyper tactics to separate the Galatians away from Paul. They didn't want them to listen to Paul. You Galatians, don't listen to Paul. Don't listen to anybody who has the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul said, you think they're treating you really good, when in reality, they're just setting you up to fail. They're setting you up to treat them good. Because, friends, the legalists of the law that were using the law to manipulate people, they seem to always somehow put themselves up on the top of everything. They're at the pinnacle and they were using the law to get the Galatians to serve them. He says, they're trying to separate you from me and anybody that teaches the gospel, but they're setting you up to line their pockets. Don't be duped. Don't be tricked. You know, these legalists, they were, they were giving them flattery. They were trying to flatter them. Oh, you're so wonderful. You're so great. Oh, look how you're doing the law. So good to make these people, people feel great about themselves, but they were leading them the wrong way. And if there's something you may not know about me, there's something I absolutely despise. I do not like it. I hate it. I don't like bubble gum. <laughs> okay. I don't chew bubble gum. You're never going to see me chew gum. I think gum is the most pointless thing in the world. All it does is tire your jaw out and make you thirsty. Okay. No point to it, especially if it's watermelon bubble gum, because I cannot stand watermelon. It's just the way I've always been. So I want to give you a rayism here that I call it. Do you know how flattery is like bubblegum? Well, it doesn't last very long, and you better not swallow it. The Jewish legalists were flattering the Galatians with great zeal, and the Galatians were swallowing that lie that you have to work hard to be saved. And when you believe you got to work hard to be saved— then that means Jesus' crucifixion did not fully satisfy the requirements of God's law. Jesus' death on the cross was not enough. Nope, God, we got to help out because you didn't finish the job, so we'll jump in and do our part. Paul says, no, you're swallowing a lie. Now, Paul said that zeal actually is a good thing if you use it in good things, but the legalists were using a phony, fake zeal for bad things to drive the Galatians away from the true gospel message of Jesus Christ. 
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.